All right, welcome into the Fifth Down Podcast. Houston Chronicle Sports columnist Jerome Solomon along with Jonathan Alexander, head beat writer who covers the Houston Texans for the Chronicle. It's our first episode here. Welcome into the show. We hope you enjoyed. We will do good stuff and have a good time, as always. Day after the seventh game of the season, Texans lost at the Carolina Panthers yesterday. Jonathan was there to cover it, so we'll go through that. What we'll do on this podcast, we'll break down the games. We'll tell you what's coming up. We'll talk about some of the personalities of the players and what's behind the scenes. Because I've got the inside man, Jonathan, here, who knows more about the Texans than anybody in this city without question. Uh, welcome in, Jonathan. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Excited about this inaugural podcast. and Long time coming, but uh, we're going to give y'all something good. Are you going to manage to avoid yawning on us since you were, you know, working to two o'clock last night after a... I'm going to try. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be tough. You know, those those road games into the next day where you got to catch that uh, that early flight to make it to, to D'Amico's press conferences are always tough, but I'm, uh, I got my coffee in right before I came here, so... In part, obviously, we're going to go all in the Texans. You don't have to worry about that, but we'll take a couple minutes because you may not know who we are. Let me give you a little bit about Jonathan, or let him do it anyway. Texans played at Charlotte yesterday. That's home for you, right? Yeah, born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. Did my, you get some mom's cooking while you were in I, this I weekend? I did. Like, Saturday, she cooked for me. She had some lasagna and some other things, and we had a, a few friends, a few family members over. So, Oh, they welcoming you in like, like you're the superstar I coming know, home, huh? I know. And I, I, I didn't mind it at all. I wasn't expecting it, but I didn't mind it at all. You know, it's nothing like some home cooking. Uh, so, born and raised in Charlotte, covered the Panthers before covered the Texans. Let's go into the covering part of it for a couple of seconds before we break down currently what's happening with the team. What, what is different about covering the Texans versus covering the Cam? Newton Carolina Panthers yeah man I, I would say it has the similarities it's the differences like both teams when I covered them were both losing programs hadn't won in a long time so both fan bases were yearning for wins but I, I would say uh, that organization covering the Panthers it was in an interesting transition they went from Ron Rivera who was a longtime head coach to Matt Rule and Matt Rule didn't he kind of felt almost like an outsider Philly guy Panthers fans didn't really take to him uh, and his uh, he's not down home at all. Nah, right? nah, nah, nah. His tenure did not end uh, nicely over there. Um, enjoy covering him, but uh, it just didn't. Panthers fans were just really wanting him to get out of there. You get to the Texans. Um, Lovey Smith's kind of like a almost like a, a I don't know the right term is lame duck, but he you know he, he was never like intended to be there for a long time. And now you got D'Amico Ryan's, and it seems like he was there for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> yeah, now it seems like <laughs> didn't have a good time. <laughs> Not at all, and now it seems like D'Amico Ryan's is the guy they want, and uh, he's he's I think he's going to be there for a long time. He's former player, as everybody knows, guy they call Cap. So far, he's got them three and four, and they have some potential for sure, along with a quarterback and a uh, CJ Stroud and young player Will Anderson. So they, yeah, and that, that's a great thing about when as a beat writer when you step into a, an organization, you'd like to be covering a team that's going to win because people are interested in what you're. People are going to be interested anyway, but they're. The, the passion for the interest grows when the team is successful and they're winning. My first job as a beat writer for a specific team anyway was the New England Patriots and they had just won their third so winning their third Super Bowl when I got there this was a championship team I'm talking Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and all those guys and it's Boston for the Boston Globe so the world was watching a lot different than you know like you said a couple of teams that weren't winning and we'll go there to start this. The Texans 
gave people so much hope, it seems, here in the first six games. And I'll, I'll slam all of you people out there who lost your minds that they lost yesterday as if there's gimmies in the NFL. There's no such thing as a gimme in the NFL. You, I mean, right. you're not guaranteed any victory. Ask the Chiefs yesterday. It was automatic they were going to beat the Broncos because they beat them how many ever times in a row for 16. eight, eight years running, yeah. it doesn't work that way. This was not an automatic for a team that won three games last year. So I'm tripping on people and I've dealt with some of them on X, formerly known as Twitter, obviously, and email and on radio. People who are mad that the Texans haven't won four games yet and they predicted they were only going to win four games <laughs> for the whole season. So it's it's funny in that sense, but you're around this team. Look, there's not a huge margin for error for any team in the NFL, but certainly a young team like the Texans. I mean, you think about it, man. All these games that the Texans have played, they've, they have, I think, only four interceptions all year. I'm sorry, four turnovers. They had their fourth turnover uh, yesterday, so they haven't turned the ball over yet. Uh, they're 3-3, three and three, and they've been in, in these games where you know, if they turn the ball over, then it's going to, you know, spiral in the other direction. And they lost a turnover battle against the Panthers and the Panthers won. So, yeah, you're right. The margin of error is very slim uh, for this Texans team. They're not a super deep team. They have some talented players for sure. You know, they lack experience in certain areas, but they can't make mistakes on a weekly basis if they if they want to win. And they really can't have penalties. They had crucial penalties. And, and they didn't have a lot of them, but they, they were at bad moments, bad times, etc. And and I'll go into a blog post that I've written on Texas Sports Nation. You can check that out, TexasSportsNation.com. Obviously, what we write is all on HoustonChronicle.com. Go there, subscribe, and get all the inside information that we will share with you here. Um, CJ Stroud didn't say it blatantly, but after the game, I got a sense from him that he was like, look, man, open it up some. Let it go some. One of the things that I looked up, they threw the ball 24 times, ran the ball 30 times yesterday, right? Yeah. In those games in the team's history, when they've thrown the ball less than 25 times and ran it more than 30 times, they're 70 and 9. Mm. That's a winning formula. Yeah. But they only scored 13 points. Yeah. Now, when they've scored just 13 points in a game, uh, their record is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not going to win a lot of games when you only score 13 points. So Stroud is like, let's open it up. Let's crank it up. The risk you have, though, is C.J. Stroud has 10 touchdowns, only one interception. He's the only starting quarterback in the league with only one interception. Part of that is because he's, they're not throwing it that much or they're not taking a lot of risk and he's making a lot of smart plays. Talk about that formula of deciding to open it up and crank it up, especially when you run offense is terrible. And, and D'Amico, he didn't disappoint me, but he was like, we ran the ball pretty good. Today. No, you didn't. No, yeah, <laughs> no you yeah, did not. Yeah. You, you ran it good for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's why y'all are nearly last in the league yeah. in rushing. Well, yeah, I think that's been one of the biggest issues, right? The running game hasn't been going, but Bobby Sloak's offense has been predicated off the running game, you run the football and you use that to open up the passing game, the play-action pass. And I think because they weren't able to run the ball previously, they really wanted to put an emphasis to try to get Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary going. And I was talking to somebody else about this yesterday, and they made a book. Bobby Sloan might have tried to run the ball just a little bit too much. Oh, there's there. no question. He, he overran it. Yeah. As, for as little as they were running, they're getting one or two yards of pop. Eventually got up to almost three, but that's not good. <laughs> I mean, they're last in the league in 
yards per carry, that that's not going to get you a lot of success. But you can get away with that when your defense is keeping teams in check. They're sixth in the league in points allowed. D'Amico's defense is playing well, but you put a lot of pressure on the defense to try to keep a team under 13 points. Yeah, and I, I think they were also trying to keep the ball out of Carolina's hands as much as possible. The last two games against the Falcons and the Saints, uh, those teams had flipped a uh, time of possession battle. They had ran more plays than the Texans had in the second half. Like they had kept the Texans defense on the field for a long time, which tired them out in that Falcons game. So I think they were, that's what one of the things they were trying to do, but their bread and butter of the season has been passing game as CJ Stroud has been successful thing that he complained about. Like you, like you briefly mentioned, they didn't have any explosive plays. They, t- they two only two of, CJ's 24 passes traveled 20 yard, t- over 20 yards in the air. Uh, he thinks that there's an opportunity for that. You got players like Tank Dell and Nico Collins who have been great uh, in the deep passing game, and they just didn't do that a lot, and they didn't connect on any of the deep pass plays. Yeah, both of them. Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you're just supposed to be just wilding out and slinging it all over the field, but it, if you want to win in the NFL, you've got to put some pressure on the defense. You exactly. can't just let them get you know relaxed and going, okay, they're not going to challenge us deep. So eventually you're going to give up more sacks and you're going to give up more pressure and they're going to stack the box against the running game. Absolutely. And Carolina completed their two out of three explosive plays. Teams who complete more than one explosive play have a higher chance at winning the game, and that's what happened. Carolina completed some explosive plays. They got downfield, and they scored points off both. Ten points. when They, they had two different drives where they did explosive plays. They scored ten points mm-hmm. off those drives. So that ended up being the difference and a lot of different mistakes. The defense too. otherwise pretty much shut them down. Right, exactly. Auto, they had six sacks was a season high. Previously had nine sacks all season. Uh, they got to Bryce Young a lot. But aside from that last drive, Texas defense was was, was pretty dominant. Yeah. And one of the issues with an offense that is so conservative and that we'll, we talk so much about D'Amico, Brands, D'Amico Ryans being a rookie head coach and C.J. Stroud being a rookie quarterback. Well, Bobby Slowick is a rookie play caller and rookie offensive coordinator. So he's feeling his way around, too. And I know like, like Stroud mentioned, you, get, you know, he wants the coaches to trust him. He has to show them that to trust him, but they, they're trying to protect him as well. But when you have as many three and outs as they have, mm-hmm. as many possessions with maybe they'll get one first down, but then the, you know, the next series is one, two, three and out. You're not possessing the ball. You, like you said, you're tiring out your defense because if they're on the field more, it's one of those situations where does it make a difference if you uh, at least threaten the defense a couple of times versus – Everything you do is underneath, and your running backs or receivers are catching it so so short of the sticks that they have to make somebody miss to get a first down. That that's not going to be successful long term. No, it's not, and I, I think you got to make them respect you. Uh, you know, and CJ mentioned that they had too many kind of short passes. I think seventeen of the passes went for less than ten yards. Uh, so if you threaten them downfield, then they respect you. Then when you do have to throw those underneath passes, you have more room to operate and get yards after the catch. I think that's what CJ was talking about. But the Panthers give them some credit. They did a good job of keeping everything in front of them. Um, they were better than them in the fourth quarter. And Bryce Young made some plays. He made some plays when he had to, um, despite getting sacked so many times. And, and I'm telling you, Jonathan Grenard was dominating Iki Aquanu over there on that on that left side. But you know, see, uh, Bryce still was able to make some plays. 
Yeah, I'm going to try to avoid turning this into uh, an ambulance report with all the injuries that the Texans have. I'd much rather talk about the people who are actually there as opposed to those who are not there. Um, we talk a lot about Stroud. You just mentioned uh, Bryce Young, who obviously is the number one pick, Stroud number two pick. And there's you know people have talked that if the Texans got, had, had the number one pick, they may have taken Young instead. Instead of comparing these two who are different types of players and they're so early in their career, I think it's ridiculous to start saying, oh, well, see, Bryce Young showed you yesterday. He's better. Stop. Please. Please stop. <laughs> but you know C.J. Stroud. You've got to know him really well. You've talked to his family. You've even talked to his father in prison. Tell us about this young man who has just been so impressive I mean, literally every time I've ever heard him speak, he says so many of the right things. And he's not saying the right things because he's practiced. He's saying them because that's who he is. Yeah, it's, it's who he is. It's how he grew up. You know, I think CJ Stroud really wants to be great. His parents instilled that into him as a young age, both his mother and his father, even though his father's in prison. You know, they grew up on, on Christian values and, and to work hard and always be the best. And they put him in football at an early age. His father went away to prison, so he had to learn how to how to help fend for himself. And his, he saw his mother work hard to put food on the table. And he kind of learned from that. So he really gets it. He he really, one thing I noticed when I was reporting the story is he doesn't really feel pressure because he, he knows, he's seen what pressure is. He's seen his mom, you know, struggle to put food on the table. He's He's grown up. Um, in LA, and he's seen parts of LA, and he and he knows what it's not to 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 really be angry at your father, and I think that's really fueled him and has given him. Perspective. And he's not angry at the world. Yeah. And no, he's not. And and part of that journey that I think kind of gets lost in it too is this is not some ghetto story. Yeah. You know, this is the kid who was, you know, started somewhere else, and he saw the struggles and the family fortunes went down a bit as he as he got older. But this this is not some, you know, sad tale. This, this, this is a tale of accomplishment. Yeah, the most beautiful thing about CJ's story is that his father was able to rehabilitate himself in, in prison after, um, you know, going through drugs. And, and CJ had learned how to forgive him. You know, you know, that's a tough thing to do. Uh, but CJ, they, they didn't speak for. Yeah, they, years, did, they, right? didn't, they didn't speak for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And uh, CJ learned how to forgive him. And that helped relieve a lot of the pressure that he was feeling in his high school years. And, and it, it allowed him to play a lot more freer and to not worry and and, and have this perspective and appreciate. What, and, what aspect of him? What is he best at as a quarterback? I really think, aside from his accuracy, he's deadly accurate. Like, he throws the ball with precision, and he can give the ball uh, where his receivers can catch it, and he can place it in tight windows that no other quarterback uh, can throw. Like, he, he's often – like, he was compared by a couple of quarterback experts to Joe Burrow for his ball placement. I think that's super important in what you don't get in, like, you know, quarterbacks. And he can make every throw, but I, I think I really think it's his confidence and his swagger and his ability to connect with his teammates. His teammates often talk about that, just how he connected with them early on. And he's literally, like, the youngest person on the team, but he's the leader. You know, how tough is that for a 21-year-old kid to come in and become the leader of a football team and to win over his, his teammates' respect? And he was meticulous about it. Former co-worker Brooks Cabina reported that he uh, has dinner. Uh, he has a private chef cook a number of players' dinner every night. So it was him being methodical and, and intentional about getting to know his teammates and finding ways to connect with them. And, and he's also good, so they follow him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that 
anybody can do. I mean, it, it kind of has to be in you to do it, but anybody can, or you can just follow somebody else's example. So he did it in college where when he got his NIL, he, he did things for his teammates and yeah. spent his money on them, buying them things and hooking them up. And I, I mean, like I covered Tom Brady. One of the things that Brady did in his first couple of years, or once they won a Super Bowl in his second year, he didn't play in his first year, and he finally got in the game second year and won a Super Bowl. He wasn't super, superstar Tom Brady. He was just a good-looking dude on a good team, but he wasn't throwing it for 5,000 yards and cranking it up like he can or he did later in his years. But when companies approached him about doing sponsorships or – you know, endorsing their product, he's like, well, get my whole offensive line in here. Mm -hmm. So he'd do what, I don't know, MasterCard or Visa or something. Instead of it just being Tom Brady, he's got the five or six meatheads up in front of him because he's like, bring my boys in, you know. And you see it all the time with Christmas presents, guys like they bought an offensive line, this, that, and the other. But if you don't do that, it doesn't make you a bad person. But when you start doing that very early on, guys pay attention to you and they will listen to you. That's a great point you make because I talked to D'Amico when I was reporting that story. He said that was the most impressive thing as EJ talked about how he bought all of his teammates on the team suits. And, and I talked to CJ about it. He said, I want everybody to feel fly. And he, he didn't want all the attention to be on himself. He, he, he knew that He's not the only player on the team, and it takes a whole team uh, for him to be good. So he thought to reward them as well. And and D'Amico thought that that shows signs of a leadership. That's why he felt real comfortable when they were number two on the board and CJ was there to take because he had all the makeups. And you know that's the kind of guy D'Amico's looking exactly. for because that's the kind of that guy D'Amico Ryan's was. He was, you know, multi-sports star in Alabama, chose to play for the Crimson Tide, one of the first, at that time, true freshmen, they, they were rich than everybody. Mm-hmm. True freshmen didn't play. Well, D'Amico played <laughs> immediately, first game, right out of the gate. And teammates were calling him captain before his, I mean, a coach before his first freshman year was over, that he dominated the locker room by being a stand-up guy. And he called him in one time and said, hey, come back here and pick these towels up. And they're like, well, we got towel people, towel boys pick that up. Like, no, no, no. Clean up your own area first. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that a coach does. And his rookie year with the Texans, D'Amico, teammates, grown men. He's a grown man. He's 21. <laughs> but they were calling him cap, yeah. as in captain, as a rookie, because that leadership really matters. As we wrap up this first episode here, Fifth Down, got a coach who we all seem to admire. It looks like he's off to a great start and knows what he's doing. A leader of men and a quarterback who can't say anything bad about them. As far as the Texans, can they have a miracle year run and make the playoffs in their first year of of this particular uh, regime? I definitely think it's possible. They've got to clean up a lot of the mistakes that they've been making against teams like the Falcons and the Panthers, and they've got to finish games strong and and, and get past the penalties. Uh, But I I think a wild card, I I don't think the AFC South title anymore uh, is in – I think the Jaguars are running away with it. They, I think they're on five wins, and they just seem to be clicking on all cylinders right now. But, I, but I, they I, are the Jaguars. Yeah, let's, let's not they be are ridiculous. the Jaguars, and the, and the Texans can't beat them again at home. Uh, so make yeah, no mistake the Texans beat them in Jacksonville by 20 points, uh, and they get to play them here. So technically, Texans are two games behind. They're only really one game behind them right now. But but yeah, the, the Jaguars are certainly the favorite. Yeah, so I think Jaguars. But I, but the wild card, before the, the loss that they had, they were just half a game 
behind the Bills. That seventh wild card spot is definitely possible, and I think they're good enough as long as they say. Usually, it's going to take whoever's the healthiest team at the end. If the Texans can remain healthy at their most important positions, wide receiver, quarterback, offensive line, and, and some of those defensive positions, I definitely think it's possible that they can make the playoffs. And isn't that amazing? I mean, I know when you took the job, I think I may have talked to you before you came here. I'm like, gonna be a long ride, bro. <laughs> <laughs> You want some playoff action, you need to go somewhere else because it won't be happening here. So it's pretty fascinating to come from as far as they've come with uh, David Culley and then Lovey Smith winning four and three games respectively each and already at three and four this year. And and with legitimate thought of, they could have easily have won two other games. Absolutely. Two of their losses, they had the lead in the final minute and just couldn't stop another team from scoring, which that's the NFL. I mean, but still, it, they could easily uh, have a much better record already. Next up this week, Tampa. Mm-hmm. Give me a quick minute on what you see. Yeah, Tampa's a good team this year. Even though they lost, I think, their last two weeks. They definitely lost uh, against the Bills, yeah, and the Falcons. Um, I still think they're a good team. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield seems to, you know, have the team going in the right direction. They always have a good defense every year, so they can make it difficult for the Texans. And and, and they'll probably the Texans will probably be the underdogs. But being in it's a home game, Texans have won their last two home games, I believe, mm-hmm. um, which is two more than they won last year. Um, <laughs> they hadn't won a home game in a while. Yeah, yeah it's been a minute. I, I think that the Texans are, are, are easily capable of winning this game, um, but they just have to play uh, sound football and not make mistakes and not beat themselves, um, not commit silly penalties. Uh, you know, the, the delay of game penalty really bothered me because they were in field goal position. They could have went up by four points, which forces Carolina to have to score a touchdown instead of kick a game winning field goal. So if they can clean up things like that, um, not commit a silly delay game p- penalty in a crucial situation. You know, I think that they can, and not turn the ball over. I think they can win. Oh, that's that's what we started earlier. That their margin of error is slim because they're not one of the best teams in the league, but they can beat average teams because they're they're good and average right now. And that they were three and three going into the bye. That's an average team. They're good. They're, like I say, if you're if you're in the top ten in points allowed, and they're Number six, you're supposed to win games. Yeah, I mean, you're. I mean, but they need to score some points, and we'll see. We'll see if they loosen it up. Do you get a sense that they're going to loosen it up, or, I mean, because I, I, I think D'Amico is a young guy, but he's a defensive guy. So if he has a choice of, do I want to let my offense go out and win this right now, or my defense? He's going to always choose defense because he's a defensive guy, yeah. period. I definitely think he trusts defense, but I did. you did see him go for it. Early oh, you can go offense. for it, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but why do you go for it? Because yeah. you trust your defense. That's true. That's very true. That's a good point. That's a good point. It's not because your offense is lighting it up. It's like, I know what my defense can do. So I, But that doesn't stop you from putting great offenses out there. I mean, you look at some of the great coaches in NFL history. They were defensive guys. Bill Belichick was a defensive guy, but he didn't stop Tom Brady from lighting it up as much as he could once he got the offense up to speed and the Texans don't have those weapons mm-hmm. as yet and you got a rookie quarterback you got to protect the kid but yeah but I, they also have a tendency to listen to people when they speak out like you know Dalton Schultz wasn't getting the ball early in the season they started giving Dalton Schultz the ball more they started you know, Devin Singletary wasn't running as much they gave Devin Singletary he had a good game against the Saints two weeks ago um, I think that the similar 
that could happen here with the explosive plays. They could listen to CJ and try to get some more explosive plays, which is what they know they need to do. Easier said than done. That's Jonathan Alexander. I'm Jerome Solomon from the Houston Chronicle. Thanks for joining us here on Fifth Down. And we're here at Grand Imaging Podcast Studios. My man Marcus Sullivan runs this great location here on the West Loop. Easy to get to. Beautiful sets. You'll love it. Come hang out with him. He, he's playing a little football, too, so he, he knows what we're talking about here. And thanks, of course, to Pirate Audio for producing this first episode of Fifth Down, and we will touch base with you on the Texans next week.